Well, this morning is a little different than a normal Sunday here at Crossroads, and, and here's why. Is, um, this summer, we had two different trips that went on overseas. We had a team that went to Ireland for two weeks, and then we had a team that went to Ghana for about 12 days. And, um, and as we've been going through Luke, if you've been following with us, just a few weeks ago, we came to a point where Jesus had sent out the disciples, and he sent them out in groups of two, and they went all throughout the surrounding region. But then right before the feeding of the 5,000, what we read is that they all came back together, and they were all sharing with each other the things God had done and how they were used, and it was, it was meant to unify the group and to encourage each other and to increase and sharpen their faith. And so we wanted to put that into practice this morning. It felt like this makes sense to just walk out exactly what we've been reading. And so we're going to have some time this morning where first we're going to hear from the team that went to Ireland, and they're going to share a little bit with you about what's going on in Ireland with Billy and, and what they were able to be a part of and, and future opportunities there. And then uh, myself and Jeff are going to come up and we're going to share a little bit about what's taking place in Ghana and the Bible school we have there and, and some pretty cool testimonies of what God's doing in the lives of people there and how you can be a part of that. But before we do, I just wanted to share with you briefly something in Romans chapter 10. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. In Romans 10, I was actually reading this this last week, just in my personal time with the Lord in the morning, and felt like it was something worth talking about this morning. It's in Romans 10, beginning in verse 14. And to give you a little context, uh, Paul is writing and sharing about his desire for for Israel, the people of Israel, his own Jewish people to be saved. And there's kind of this wrestle and this struggle with their rejection and their hard-heartedness. And he starts chapter 10 by saying that he has his heart's desire and his prayer to God is that they would be saved. And that's significant. That's important because I was thinking about that's why these mission trips that we go on overseas exist is because our heart's desire and our prayer is that we would go and see people saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not just going because we want to travel, okay? I've talked to some students at times who had gone on a missions trip to, to Mexico, and they're like, oh, we got to have tacos, we played soccer, we went to the beach, I think I want to be a missionary, and I'm like, I think you want to be a tourist. That's, like, that's all great and fine, but that's not why we do these trips overseas. We're going to share the gospel and make disciples. Our heart's desire and our prayer when we go, man, is that people would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That was Paul's desire for his own people. And, and then when we get down to verse 14, it's very interesting, these questions and this process. He's kind of reverse engineering the whole process of salvation here, but here's what he says, beginning in 14. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And I was beginning to think about this as, as 
Paul's writing to this Roman church and sharing really his desire for the Jewish people of Israel, his own people, to be saved. And what we have here is this process of salvation and the great commission that we've all been called into as believers, reverse-engineered into these action points, kind of the bullet points of what takes place from someone first being sent out and then that person hearing and believing and calling on the name of the Lord. And for the believer, Paul already showed us, this starts back in verse 1 where there's this heart's desire and this prayer that takes place as this person is sent out. And that's where all work on mission for God must start. With a, with a true desire within your heart that is aligned with his desire to seek and save that which is lost. And it's that desire that moves us into action. It's that desire that Jesus had. Do you remember so many times in the Gospels we read this description when Jesus is moving into action and it says that he was moved with compassion. That he was moved with compassion for people that were like sheep without a shepherd. And that when others would try and stop the kids, he says, no, 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 let them come. And when others say, oh, don't bring that person, Jesus goes to them. And constantly we see his heart's desire begin to bring him into this action. For the weary, the sick, the cast out, or the abandoned. And Paul goes on to share here what that desire within his heart that then moved into prayer and then was birthed into action looks like. As Paul's saying here, if, if you care, if you care for the lost, those who don't know Jesus, and I mean if you truly care, it will lead you to pray. If you really care for loved ones who don't know Jesus and the lost that haven't found him and heard the gospel, it should move you first and foremost, even if nothing else yet, to pray for them. To pray that they would hear, that they would know, that they would believe and they would call on the name of Jesus. But also, if you truly care, and you begin to pray, it will also lead you to go and do something, whatever you can. And as we'll mention today, as we look at these different places that work is being done, it's going to look different for a lot of us. Some of you are saying, man, let me know the dates for the next trip. I will pack my bags and buy the ticket, and I will go. And for others, you're going, we have little kids at home, or our life situation right now doesn't allow us to travel, but hey, we would love to support someone going, or we would love to know how we can be a part of the work going on there, and there are ways, even from here in Auburn, you can make a direct impact into the lives of people in Ghana and Ireland, and not just through your funds, through your gifts, through teaching the word through prayer, through discipleship, and we'll share about that. But it should lead you as you care for the lost and you begin to pray for them, the Lord begins to move in your heart in action. You would do something about it and you would say something about it and that that thing that you say if you really care and you really prayed and you really want to do something are going to be words that matter. And they're going to be words of the gospel and of scripture that call people to repentance, that point them to Jesus. Because you know how short life is and how important these words 
are. And Paul here, as he reverse engineers this, he says there's a process. And before somebody calls on the name of Jesus to be saved, they need to believe in who Jesus is and that he can save them or they're not going to call on him. But before they believe in him and call on him, they have to hear it. Someone has to come and share with them so they can hear the word of God, the gospel, and then believe it and respond to it. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. But he says, how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? And you're like, perfect. So, Lucas, that's your job. No, that's all of our jobs. This word for preacher wasn't a position, okay? This is, this is an ambassador of the gospel. This is those that are going out and proclaiming the good news. This is all of us. So congratulations. Add it to your resume. You are also a preacher now. And God has called you to proclaim the good news. But then he takes it one step further and says, well, how are people going to preach, though, unless they are sent? Well, Jesus gave a very clear sending to each and every person who comes to him in the Great Commission when he said, go. That's his sending to you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is called to go. But one thing I want to make clear this morning is that as, as we have people come up here who are going to share about when they went and they served the Lord and they shared the gospel and what God did, those are not the only people called to go. It's every single one of us. And the only place to go is not overseas. So you might be saying, I want to go and I want to serve the Lord, but... I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I can't go to Ireland or Africa. Don't have a passport. No, we're, we're to make disciples of all nations. We're to go and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So some of you may get to go to the ends of the earth. Some of you, Jerusalem may be your full-time mission field. It may be Auburn. It may be Placer County. That's no less a mission field, and it's no less in need of the gospel. And so when you hear people sharing, I hope what it doesn't do is, is cause you to go, man, I'm bummed. I just wish I could serve the Lord and be a missionary. I hope it lights up something in you that says, man, we could be doing those same things here. Man, what would it look like if I showed up at work the same way that I would show up in Africa and go, this is a mission field and I'm here to share the gospel? What if you showed up at work like that? The mission field is right out our doors. And the preacher is every single one of us. As 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we would proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So this morning... My hope, my prayer is that you are encouraged as you hear what God is doing overseas, but also that you are empowered to be a part of that work right here and right now in Placer County, and that we could give you some very practical steps for if you want to go on the next trip, if you just want to support the next trip, if you want to pray for the next trip, 
Or if you want to know how can we take some of these things we're doing overseas and be doing them right here in our backyard, man, we all want to be a part of this work because it's his work. It's not ours. This is for his glory, not our own. And so let's celebrate what the Lord is doing in these spaces this morning. And this morning, we're going to start with our Ireland team. So the Ireland team, you can go ahead and make your way up onto the stage, and we're going to hear from them. And then after they've shared for a little while about what's going on there, then uh, I was going to say Jeff and I will come up, but Jeff is actually the wild card in all of this. Uh, Jeff went to Ireland and Africa. So if you're a little confused, like why didn't he get off the stage after the Ireland Uh, Jeff was the one person on both of these trips, and so he gets the unique perspective of getting to share at both of these experiences. But uh, this is our Ireland team, and I'm excited for what they have to share. I haven't heard this either. So let's give them our full attention this morning. I'm going to have them introduce themselves first so you know who they are, and then I will let them uh, go ahead and take it away. So we'll start with you, Paul. Go ahead and tell them who you are. All right, true to form. Um, I'll introduce the team as they uh, love the limelight. This is a team that just thrives for center stage. Um, Kidding, of course. I'm going to sit down with them. This feels a little weird. Um, My name's Jason, and we've got Jeff and Lindsay and Becca and Paul, and not here with us this morning, but a part of the trip. Uh, We're Pam and Larry Harley, who are typically at our North Campus and are heavily involved there and are um, there this morning. And so um, there was, uh, from Crossroads and from the States, there were six of us, and Jeff joined us in progress, so seven of us who, you know, have called Crossroads home, and um, there to be uh, a part of a week-long camp is kind of the, the nature of things. And I'm just going to start with kind of the broad 30,000-foot level of, of what we do there and uh, what things are all about and kind of give some historical context so you kind of know what the trip is broadly and then have some st- stories shared here personally. And then Jeff's going to kind of wrap up and share a little bit about where we are at and what happens during the rest of the year when we're not there because there's a continuing work that happens when teams aren't uh, in Ireland. So just rolling back the the clock, if you will, Crossroads has had a long-term relationship with a ministry called, previously it was called uh, Dublin City Mission, and it's now called Dublin Family Outreach, and specifically uh, with a man named Billy Swan, and we'll see some pictures of him later. But just, again, for context, Billy and his wife, they moved down from Northern Ireland to Dublin uh, about 30 years ago. Now it's getting close to 30 years to minister specifically to inner city Dublin families. And so when you think of things, it's, it's not necessarily just the rolling green hills and the wonderful countryside that you think of of Dublin, but think of uh, inner city families who are in desperate need and in desperate situations. And, and moving from Northern Ireland, which is a distinct, now a distinct country from the Republic of Ireland, uh, don't just think, hey, this is a family moving to take on a new kind of cool ministry opportunity and simply re- relocating. There's a whole lot more to it than that. Um, 
Ireland and Northern Ireland, when the time when Billy moved, were, was approaching the end of what has been called the Troubles, which is basically a, a, an ongoing, low-grade, at times, civil war between the, the Republic of Ireland in the south and those who wanted to remain in the UK in the north. And there's a whole lot of history there that we could go on to. But understand, if you're not familiar with that season of, of Ireland's history, there's a lot of bloodshed on both sides of the, uh, of the conflict. And a lot of that uh, loss of life was civilian life. And Billy's family was no exception. He's had family members who, uh, who, li who lives were lost um, in that season of troubles. A lot of bitter animosity, a lot of, uh, you know, political lines being drawn, a lot of emotional heat around that. And so when Billy and his family, northerners, are moving down to Dublin, that's a huge step. In my mind, I liken it to a family during our American Civil War moving from the north to the south. And Billy and Julie, they had family who said to them, we can't believe that you're moving to minister to those people. And so it was a real step of faith to leave uh, what was home for them and to step out into uh, a, a place that was maybe not going to accept them and certainly not a place where the folks that they were a part of typically accepted. So it was a huge step. Um, it was a, a big deal for Billy and his wife to move. And they've been doing ministry there in Dublin for a long, long time. And it's a, an extended season of long-term faithfulness. I'm really encouraged by the, the long investment that they've had in that community. And a part of their ministry, as they minister to these families throughout the year, a part of their ministry includes the summer camps that we've been involved in. And these started out, in their original history, they started out just as camps for the kids. Uh, these after-school clubs and these kids' clubs would go out uh, during the year, or sorry, during the summer, and they would have camps for the kids and invest in those kids and try and create healthy life and teach them about Jesus and bring them to a place where their communities weren't going to take them apart from some specific intervention. Uh, but over time, the vision for those camps has kind of changed. It's grown from a camp just for kids to a camp for whole families. And so when I took my first trip in 2017 with Crossroads, it was by then a family camp. And it's a family camp. It's going to be uh, grandparents who maybe you can picture them in their 50s, their kids, and their kids. I think the youngest person we had on camp this year would have been a couple of four-year-olds, maybe a little bit younger than that. So you've got folks from their 50s, the grandparents, and all the way down to the four-year-olds. And it's a, a full family de uh, deal. This year we probably had 50-ish or so campers, uh, 50 to 60 campers, and then there was um, 10 to 15 volunteers, that would be our team, as well as some folks from Northern Ireland and some folks who are doing ministry uh, in the Dublin area throughout the year. We all kind of come together on camp uh, for this week at the end of June into the beginning of July, and we're a big happy family for the week. Campers show up on Sunday afternoon, and they go home Saturday morning, and as soon as they hit the ground, they hit the ground running. There's a lot going on. As you're trying to picture what uh, ministry is like, um, it's not wrong to use maybe one of our youth summer camps as a template to kind of say, well, I know this thing, and, and kind of going from that known to an unknown, um, using our youth summer camps as an opportunity. Um, like our summer camps, uh, the camps that we go to and are a part of are meant to be um, a, a contribution and a part of ministry that happens year-round. So just like our youth ministry doesn't exist for one week out of the summer for summer camp, um, likewise the ministry there in Ireland doesn't just happen one week uh, in the summer. It's, it's a year-long investment, and we come alongside during that special week of camp 
to help be there to staff that and be a part of the investment that's taking place there. So all year long, Billy and those who are serving alongside him are investing in their families, and Jeff can tell you more about what happens during the rest of the year and just give you a sense of what's happening. But camp, uh, don't picture it as this is the only ministry that's happening during the year. Camp is a part of ongoing ministry that happens across the year. And again, our, our summer camps are still a good point of comparison. Um, like our summer camps, there's a good mixture of a lot of fun that's happening as, very, as, uh, as well as very deliberate spiritual investment. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun activities that are happening during camp, but also there's a very deliberate attempt to make sure that people know Jesus and to invest in them spiritually to help disciple them wherever they're at in their walk with the Lord and to help us as we're trying, trying to live out the Great Commission. How do we go there to make disciples? And to just give you a sense of what we do during camp, I mean, it's maybe just helpful to describe a certain day because you can kind of take one day and then rinse and repeat throughout the week of camp. Um, so on a typical day, the camp volunteers and staff will meet at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, we'll talk about the day that's coming up, maybe rehash some of this day that went by and kind of things that we need to uh, touch base on, and then spend a bit of time in prayer uh, for ourselves, for the campers, and for the camp. And then families by that time are starting to roll out of bed, say around 9, 9.30 or so, and grab their breakfast. The kids are probably still in their PJs. Uh, maybe mom and dad sent them down because this is a safe place for their kids to be. And so they can just kind of roll out of camp and just blurry-eyed, you know, make themselves a bowl of cereal or have a cup of tea or whatnot. And they kind of are, you know, just getting the engine out of the station and getting things moving. Um, there's a bit of time in between breakfast and then some time to just get ready, get dressed, get your teeth brushed and all the things that we do in the morning. And then we call the whole camp together for morning session. Uh, in the past, it's been Billy who will holler out in the way that he just this, he's got some projection ability. And he just, session, and everybody knows when you hear that, it's time to head to the sports hall or kind of this big, large barn that's been set up for basketball and other activities. And we go to meet for session. And that's for the whole family, from the grandparents down to the, ba uh, to the youngest kids. And while there, we'll do some, you know, camp songs, some Christian camp songs, and they're kind of some fun activities. We'll maybe rehearse with the kids the Bible verse that we worked on the day before and see how the kids are doing and remembering that and working through it. And we, as a team, we kind of know that if we're catching the kids, we're also speaking to the grown-ups. And so every time that those kids are rehearsing the Bible verse, we know that the grown-ups are hearing it as well. Because for the most part, there's not a great deal of biblical literacy. And so we're able to catch them right where they're at and speak to them and help them in that, again, that desire to help disciple them and bring them along. Uh, this year, um, one of the cool things, part of uh, that morning session, is we always will tell a Bible story. And there's always a theme that we have through camp. So Monday through Friday, we're telling five different stories. And I had the opportunity this year, it was a really, uh, really cool transition to work with one of the local guys about developing what that theme would be and what stories we would tell. So it's not just us coming to do everything for them, but to work alongside them as they take more and more ownership over camp and ministry there. And so uh, Damien and I, we worked together to help develop what we'd be doing. We were going to talk around the subject of grace and different aspects of grace and using the book of Acts to find different stories that helped us talk about different parts of grace. And so each morning I would get up uh, at a part of our morning session, uh, tell a story from the book of Acts while trying to teach an aspect of grace, teaching to the kids, but also knowing I'm going to catch a large segment of the adults. 
And at that point, uh, after the morning session is wrapped up, the, there's a break in between lunch where we have some free time for activities. Here's Becca leading some craft projects. Uh, there's sports that can be happening, just hanging out and some morning activities. Then we'll have lunch, and typically in the afternoon, there's an offsite. So we'll all kind of pile into the vehicles, into the minibus and the van, and pop out and head off to some for, uh, into some offsite activity. This one is at a, an old abbey, so the place where the monks lived. And this place is obviously incredibly old, and it's wonderful. One of the wonderful things about Ireland is you're just driving around. you turn a corner and there's some ancient ruin. And so we would stopped at this place called Four Abbey and just stopped and had some games there and hung out. It was a cool time. One of my favorite things about this photo though, I don't know if you saw in that previous one, there is a tiny little person way up there. And then you zoom in a little bit more and you realize it's our own Lindsay hanging out up on top of the, the rampart there. So uh, I didn't realize when I took that photo that she was up there and I'm like, wait a second, what's this? And Oh, that's pretty cool. So uh, just uh, it's a good time to uh, camp is very relational. This is a very relational trip. It's not a trip where you're going to build buildings or paint walls. It's not a uh, trip where you're going to evangelize a place that is completely unknown to the gospel. It's not necessarily a church planting trip. It's a relational trip of discipleship, taking people where they're at and helping them grow closer to the Lord in discipleship. And so uh, during these offsites, that's our point, is to mix it up with the families that we're there to serve, have conversations, and make sure that we're investing in their life and trying to live out the Great Commission with them. We migrate back to camp, grab some dinner, and then we break up for our evening session. And unlike the morning session where it was the whole family, the whole camp together, here we break out almost like we do on a Sunday morning uh, into age-specific groups. Uh, the adults are together, the teens are together, and here you see the kids are together. Um, it's kind of hard to see all the faces, but we've got a load of kids here from the really young ones all the way up to the 11, 12-year-olds and that whole range and trying to kind of grab some of the ideas that we taught in the morning and develop them a little bit further and continue that investment. So again, very deliberate about trying to have that spiritual investment. We're not just simply there to help them have a fun time, but to invest Jesus into their lives and again, live out the Great Commission in making disciples. And so then you wrap up the evening, it's probably around 8.30, but don't worry, you don't have to go to bed yet because at this point in Ireland, the sun's not setting till about 10.30 because of its place in the latitude and its time during the summer. So you've still got a lot of daylight. You've got good daylight till 11, 11.15 before things start to get dark. I don't think there was a day during camp that uh, I didn't go to bed before midnight. And then you wake up the next morning so that you can be at that leaders meeting at 8.30. So it's a lot of uh, activity. It's full days of ministry from the very early morning all the way till late at night and, and op opportunities beside that. And I'll just wrap up with one of the things that encouraged me about this trip. Like I said, I've had opportunity to go in 2017, 18, and then 19. And then obviously we had a four-year gap in between that 2019 trip and this year's trip. And one of the things that that gap in time allowed me to do was see the growth that's been happening in Ireland. It's kind of like being around one another, being around your own kids. You don't notice how much they're growing. But when you visit family that hasn't seen them for a while or you visit someone who hasn't seen them for a while, they can tell, oh gosh, your kids are getting so big because there is a gap of time in which that slow incremental growth it, it, it was happening 
but it was just hard to notice when you're up close to it. And so the growth that I maybe, I don't know what we're seeing in 17, 18, and 19, it was so obvious to see the growth that was happening uh, because of the gap in time between visits. Uh, since Crossroads has last had a chance to go to camp, the families that come to camp have been able to plant a church of their own. They've moved from home fellowships, which are nothing to be uh, dismissed or overlooked, but they've taken that next step of health and maturity and actually become their own church. And that's a, a, a baby church. It's in its infancy, but it's growing. And that's a powerful step forward and an incredible piece of fruit that speaks to the long-term investment that Billy and those who serve along him alongside him have been making for years and years and years. That's, that's a really powerful thing to observe and to see. Um, I've also been able to see not just uh, growth in kind of the, the larger work there, but in the individuals and families. For so long, Billy has been the heart and soul of camp, the heart behind it, the engineering behind it, the, the push behind it, and he is in that season now of handing that work off to others and raising people up. And so families who had just been campers in the past are now taking on responsibility and growing in these things themselves. And again, that's long-term investment turning into fruit, and I was really encouraged to see that. Um, you know, we think that Ireland is, you know, again, this wonderful green place with this Christian heritage, and it is. But the green Ireland uh, that we think of is really a spiritual desert. There are less than 3% of the population who would consider themselves born-again Christians. And that is a, a shockingly low number. Less than 3% of the Irish would think of themselves in the terms that we use to describe ourselves, having that living relationship with God. And so uh, there's a lot of, of work to be done. It's not just like the doors are falling open for them and everybody's saying, hey, how do I... How do I respond to this gospel? And yes, we want to be a part of what you're doing. There's a long-term investment, and it's been wonderful to see the, that fruit developing and growing uh, as we've been able to come alongside ministry that happens throughout the year. So that's kind of what camp is doing. That's kind of the, the his, some of the history and bringing it up. And I thought I would pass the mic over. I'm going to skip Jeff, pass over to Lindsay, and um, maybe share some of what she observed at camp. Thanks, Jason. That was super comprehensive. As he shared, the ship, the trip was so relational, and that was my favorite part, getting to know these people deeply. Um, okay, also, I can sing in front of people all day, but talking in front of you guys is a whole different story, so I'm a little nervous. I've got my notes here, though. Um, in the evenings during the post-dinner session, when Jason and Paul were with the adults and Becca was with the kids, Jeff and I got to host a Q&A for the, I'll say teenagers, but it was really a catch-all for ages 13 to, I think the oldest guy was 34. Um, and it was a really precious time to get to know them, like Jason shared too. I mean, everyone my age and older, this, the troubles, the Catholic and Protestant divide is still shaping and informing so much of their worldview. And it was a great time to just make it more casual, let them kind of lead the conversation, talk about things that they wanted to talk about and hear their hearts. It was quite a mixed bag. Some of the kids had grown up at going to the family camp. Others were very openly atheist, but we just got to answer their questions. They were 
very deep. I mean, I think night one, they were like, if God is good, why does he let the Holocaust happen? Um, we got to speak to things like um, faith and sexuality. We got to speak to indoctrination and um, why we as Protestants believe the things we do and do things the way that, they, the way that we do. And during that conversation, one of the kids, a 13-year-old named Alex, who had grown up going to this family camp, shared that he, as a Protestant, has no friends at school because he's considered a part of a cult, basically, being a Protestant. And that really marked me. This 13-year-old boy on the other side of the world has experienced more persecution than I ever have. And it just lit me up to want to empower these young people to know what they believe, to know the God of the Bible, and to be able to be lights in, as Jason shared, is a spiritual desert. So the whole week for me was a lot of, it was a privilege to get to reframe how so many of these young people view God. I'm not sure exactly what he was doing in all their hearts, but just continue to pray that um, there was a shift that happened and that the new information, the answers that we shared, the verses we pointed to would continue to resonate in their hearts and that God would continue to draw them to himself. So a lot of reframing God and also a lot of sowing seeds. One of my favorite stories to share about the trip is on the very last day, we left on a Saturday, and it was just a flurry of activity. Everyone was packing up and hoovering. That's what they call vacuuming over there. Hoovering their rooms, and I was sitting in the living room area, and a couple of the kids came through. They were three siblings that come from an unbelieving home, but their aunt, who had grown up going to the family camp, brought them. Their names were Maddie and Matthias and Bronson. And I was just saying my goodbyes, and I said, hey, do you guys have a Bible at home? And they were like, no. I said, do you want one? And their eyes lit up. They were so excited. There's a picture up there. Maddie in the middle in the pink, Bronson on top. Oh, no, Matthias on top and Bronson to my right. But um, they were like, are the... Are the stories that Pastor Jason shared, are those in here? I said, yes. What about our memory verses? Are those in here too? Can you show us where the memory verses are? And got to flip open to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 was their memory verse for the week and show them where that was. And they said, is there another one that we can bring home to our mom? And so sent them home with four Bibles. I'm pretty sure a couple of them were like, King James, but they were still just thrilled. <laughs> that was all that they had available. But yeah, my heart just warms when I think about that and just trusting, like I said, that God would continue to draw these hearts to himself, that he would continue to reveal himself through these Bibles that we left behind, and that he would continue to water the seeds that were sown. Yes, this is nerve-wracking. Um, again, I'm Becca. Um, you guys do this all the time. <laughs> You're good at it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> okay, so mention notes. Um, I have notes because I found out I was um, sharing at 9 p.m. last night. So if I'm just reading, please forgive me. <laughs> Thank you for the grace. Um, so I have been working 
in childcare kids ministry at some capacity for 18 years. Um, so when I heard that Jason wanted and needed a session leader for kids ministry, I'm like, that's me. I got this. No problem. Kids are easy. Well, <laughs> I would say I was humbled in my abilities, my abilities. The kids were great. Don't get me wrong. They were awesome. Um, but did they learn everything that I prepared for them to know about the Bible and who Jesus is? I don't know, to be honest. Um, left in my own strength, I felt pretty defeated. But God showed up, as he always does. Um, oh, thank you. And my confidence, properly placed in him, reminded me that the one who does the good work in us, as Philippians 1, 6 says, um, he is the one. He does the good work. It's him. It's not us. It's not our abilities. And praise God that it's not, because we can't do it without him. And when it's when it's about us, he get, he loses the glory. So I'll just say I'm glad that I <laughs> was humbled. Um, also, when I was preparing, I read in Hebrews chapter six, verse nine. Um, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, that accompany salvation. This is what I wanted the kids to know. I wanted to know that they, or wanted them to know that they have a Savior who loves them, who knows them deeply and intimately. And um, it, it's who He is and who they are made it in Him that that makes the difference. It's not, it's not anything else that we do. And then further, in verse 10, this spoke to me and gave me the peace that I felt when I felt like I didn't do very good. It says, for God is not unjust to forget the work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints, and that you do minister, so here and there. Um, for the last 14 months in particular, Missions has been on the forefront of my mind, serving as communication support for Jeff, um, reading about the lives of Gladys Allward, um, Amy Carmichael, Eric Little, Jim Elliott, and reading The Mind of Missionary by David Jonas, Joannes, I don't know how to say his name. Um, mission work has always had a tug on my heartstrings. So this trip was my very first trip um, doing any kind of mission work, um, and it was my first time going overseas, um, and I was so grateful for the opportunity to serve alongside uh, and Billy and Julie, and like uh, Jason was saying, um, the fruit of the last 30 years was evident, and we got to experience just how they have poured into the lives of these people and shown them their value, and we got to serve alongside them and just build them up. and. Again, just being very relational and so thankful for that opportunity. We had a grand time, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Thank you. Can I see that? So I was told this morning, if I'm sharing, you're sharing. I didn't write notes. And if any of you are thinking that, wow, Paul, that shirt, that outfit is really loud, it's intentional because we're in Ireland on the 4th of July. And don't worry, the Irish people thought the same thing. How do I know? They shared that because they are not afraid to say what they think. 
And they made sure to let me know, that's cute about your baby country over there being 200 years old. There's lots of teasing back and forth. It was good. Uh, so as Jason? Jason, sorry, we called him dad this whole trip because he kind of took care of everything and guided us all in the right direction. As Jason said, this was a relational mission. Um, so after the week was done, I got to spend uh, most of the day with Becca and Jeff in the coffee shop, and I'm thinking, man, I know this is going to come where people are going to ask, what'd you do? What happened? And I looked at Jeff and said, Jeff, I have no idea how to communicate any of this. And he said, look to me, and if you've talked to Jeff, you know. He's very calm and looked at me, and I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to get all the wisdom. Here we go. And he says, there's no way you can tell people about what happened at camp unless they go to camp. Like, and that is not helpful at all. But it's amazing how the Lord works and summarizing uh, a few points. I also had a, a brief conversation with Lucas and then actually this morning um, solidify a few points here. This was a relational mission. We were on mission. And over there, there is such a need for biblical literacy. Here in the States, there's a need for biblical literacy. We're on mission wherever we go. We're on mission at our, at our workplace, with our family, with our kids. So there, we're set up, right? You get up in the morning, you read the Bible, you're set, you go to session, you've got this outline, you're spending time with the kids, you're talking about whatever was in session, right? Asking them questions, you're being very deliberate, you're praying through, okay, how can I communicate what was talked about um, to these kids in this time. Here, it looks completely different, and it's sometimes really difficult to get into, right? Do you get up? Nine times out of 10, I don't read my Bible. I'm concerned, so concerned and consumed about what the day has. Slow down, read your Bible. There's so many opportunities to have conversations with people along the way, at your workplace, people that are just willing to share. Yeah, I just got back from this foreign country where I'm from, and my mom's got cancer. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, uh -huh, uh -huh, I've got these 10 items. Instead of praying through, Lord, how can I talk and give hope to this guy? Was it, is this work? Does this work? My train of thought is gone. <laughs> Did you guys hear half of that? That's the question. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought I wasn't hearing myself. That was weird. That's, that's my word of encouragement to all of you. Um, be deliberate with your speech. Be deliberate with praying over the situations that you're going into. Be deliberate here. Because we go, and it's all laid out for us, at least on this mission it was, what we're to talk about, what's going on, how to reach them, these, this families, these families where they are. We did life with these families in Ireland. And I can tell you, they say use instead of you all. They speak a little differently, but they need the gospel in its simplest form just as much as everyone here does. That's all I have. Thank you. Uh, my favorite part. Um, I'm just going to share about kind of what goes on between camps. 
over there, uh, both with the uh, Dublin Family Outreach and at Drew's Townhouse, which are two different organizations that are now coming together as one. Uh, in 2018, Billy and his family moved to Drew's Townhouse after living in the same house for exactly 30 years. They moved out on the same day they had moved in 30 years later. And uh, so they'd been running camps at Drew's Townhouse for several years, as Jason shared, and uh, uh, they felt it was time to do a little more and move up there and take it over. The guy who was running it was leaving. Uh, there was nobody to step in, so they stepped in. So that was a huge change for them, uh, moving out into from inner city to really out in the country. Uh, it's quiet. There's not a lot of stuff around, so it was a huge change for them. But they've settled in really well, and they're doing a great job. Um, I had the privilege of being there all last summer and about two months this summer, and I got to see what goes on when camp's not going on. Uh, at Drew's Townhouse, it's not just the DFO camps that go on. He has two camps, the one this team came to and then another one that finished up uh, just before I came back, so two weeks ago it finished up. And another team from back east comes out to that one. And uh, both of those camps are people from inner city, Dublin, really hard areas, uh, teen pregnancy, drug abuse, um, all kinds of abuse, people being murdered on the streets. I mean, the kids are growing up and people are living in really tough situations. And that's what Billy and Julie brought their three kids into in 1988. They moved there to minister to those people. And they've been doing that for 35 years. And as Jason mentioned, uh, some of the families stepping up and, and taking over operation of camp and things like that, and even running the church now, uh, that's only happened in the last three or four years. So they faithfully served for 30 plus years before seeing real fruit of people being discipled and stepping up to do things. And so that's really cool to see. I was there in 2015, got to meet a lot of the people on the second camp, it's uh, Bally Ferment Camp, which is quite a bit rougher than the one these guys came on. They're, they're really, it's really a tough neighborhood. Uh, and uh, so I got to be on both those camps both years. And then, uh, to, so seeing that, and, and like Jason mentioned, um, they're having church every week, and it all started out as home churches. They'd move around from house to house. And then it outgrew being able to meet in the homes, so they had to rent the Civic Center there in Bally Ferment. So they meet in the Civic Center now three times a month and then back in a home once a month. But just to see the fruit of that and the, the growth in that, um, last year after camp we went to a home fellowship and three of the people that had been at that camp got baptized. They'd been coming for a while and they got baptized. This year we had two people baptized at the second camp, at camp out in the lake. Uh, there's some pictures of the people the first year. Sorry, I just sent a bunch of pictures. I don't know what's really up there. Uh, and then some people this year got baptized in the lake. Uh, so there's a lot of spiritual growth happening in a small amount of people. But the interesting thing is in Bally Ferment, what happens is most people meet the Lord 
pack up their family and leave. And they go out, and that's a lot of the people that were at the camp that we did together. They've left Valley Ferment to a little bit nicer neighborhood. Not really nice, but a little nicer. So what's really cool, like this guy Gavin in the picture, him and his family, they've received the Lord and they've chosen not to leave. And they're, <coughs> sorry. So they're staying in that place with all that going, raising their kids and ministering to their community. And, and so that's been awesome to see. And Jason talked about grandparents at camp. A lot of those grandparents and all the parents are from when Billy was doing kids camps. They've all grown up through all of that. So Billy's been through with them for most of their lives. And, uh, and to see the fruit finally coming where they're stepping up and taking, taking hold of that and making it their own is really encouraging. Um, yeah, as far as coming to camp, I think they covered it pretty well. If you have a chance to come, it's not going to be an easy week. Uh, the days are very long. Uh, the camp you guys come on isn't too rough. If you happen to get to a D10 camp later in the year, it's quite a bit rougher, but still quite encouraging. And, and somebody mentioned that they'll just tell you what they think, and that's I think that's one of the best parts about it. There's no errors or fake it's just like they're going to tell you what they think and what they believe so you know what you're getting so there's that side of it and that's what's going on throughout the year billy drives three hours round trip every sunday he goes down and does a sunday service uh, there's two of the people that are part of the church are now also doing sunday service so they kind of swap off but billy travels back to dublin every sunday for that uh, there's a lot of events throughout the year where people travel up to Drew's townhouse. They do a nice Christmas event where everybody comes up and spends the night and they celebrate Christmas and a few other things, women's retreats and things that go on up there. Uh, so that's the, the DFO Dublin Family Outreach. And then Drew's town has been, it, it was built 275 years ago. So there's a lot of maintenance and stuff to go on, you can imagine, a 275-year-old place. And uh, Billy stepped into that. It had been run for years as a retreat center by somebody else who really didn't have money to do anything, didn't have any kind of backing. So the place just ran down year after year after year. And uh, right now their biggest concern is a roof that's going to cost millions of dollars because the house being that old, they have to meet the standards of the historic society, and the outside of the house has to stay as it was in 1745. So they have to recreate all that. So it's very expensive. Um, interesting story. Do I have time? Never mind. They, they, they were having a meeting with the Historical Society and a bunch of architects of how do we do this. And as they were meeting, a car pulled in. And the historical guy's going, we got to get pictures. We got to see how the place was. We got to figure this out. So a car pulls in in front of the house. They see people get out. They're looking around. Billy goes out to see who it is. It's the family of the people <coughs> that built the house with books full of pictures. Books full of pictures. 
that showed up at the exact moment they were having that meeting. And that's what God's been doing there the last few months. Uh, another family moved down from Northern Ireland when I was there last year. He's like a management kind of guy. He's bringing together all these resources and they're really uh, pushing forward to get things done to restore the house. Um, but that brings up the point of work parties. There's always, if you ever feel like you wanna go to Ireland and work, you could call Billy and tell him you wanna come work and he'll give you a job. He's got a list from the ceiling to the floor here of things that need done. And uh, so that's another option there and I better stop talking, okay. So again, there's, thank you. There are plenty of ways to get involved with Ireland. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Any of us could talk about our experiences. Um, I do, but let's see if we can squeeze some Ghana recap in before uh, we've used up all the air in the room. So uh, we're gonna get off stage and make way for Lucas. All right, so I'm gonna tell you about Ghana in 30 seconds and then we will finish up service. Now, um, we'll go quickly through this. We just have some photos we want to share, and I'm going to let Jeff share with you uh, real quick. Are you sure? Real quick. Real quick. Um, real quick. Just the work that's gone on in Ghana, because if, if you aren't familiar with the, the investment that Crossroads has had in really trying to minister to the people in Ghana and building a Bible school that we have there now, uh, it's, it's worth you understanding a little bit of the history and the context before we share with you photos of all that's going on. Keep your elbow ready. So we started in Ghana in 2004. I won't go every year, but 2004 doing outreaches. Uh, some of your kids came to Ghana with us on those outreaches. So for four years we did that. We realized that there wasn't really biblical teaching going on. So we uh, prayed about what to do about that. We started a Bible school in Northern Ghana um, and it started in a house. And so that's been going on since 2007. Uh, we've moved twice into two other houses, and then I don't remember when, but we started a building, and we have a big building project there. We bought five acres. We have a building that's half completed. Classes have been running. Students are living there. They've been staying there for several years. Uh, when I went over in 2020, I went with the plan of getting that project done. COVID hit. Nothing got done. I just hung out for a few months. It was wonderful. And then, uh, so we went back. These guys came over. I met them, and we went over and looked at what needs to be done. And, and I'm really excited to see them excited about getting the project done. Uh, over the years, there's been about 1,100 graduates from every West African country that have come out. And so they've gone back to their villages, to their towns, to the places they came from and started churches or are ministering to their families, to the students, to whoever they're ministering to. Uh, there's been a lot of hardship in, over those years. When we started, uh, the terrorist groups were in Mali and they were working their way down. Uh, they're now all the way to the border of Ghana, about 40 kilometers from where we stay. They're just across the border. Uh, they're burning churches, they're going in and shooting everybody in the church and setting it on fire and leaving. Um, and we had students arriving when we were there, a semester was starting, students were arriving 
that were late getting there because they had terrorists had come into their village and caused a problem and they had to get their families and flee and get them someplace safe before they could come to school to learn how to share the gospel and go back to that place and share the gospel. So they're facing real persecution uh, and, and the school is really changing what's happening in West Africa with the gospel. You're great. Um, so we'll flip through these photos real quickly and just, if you're not good with geography, we've got a couple here that we can show you that are just gonna give you an understanding of where Ghana is. You see the arrow pointing right there, that's where Ghana is in relation to Africa. West Africa there on the bottom. You can go to the next one and we'll do a little zoom in for you. This is the process of what takes place for us to get to where we are in Ghana. So we land at the very bottom there in Accra. That's where we fly in. And then we take a small little flight in Africa. That's your first big leap of faith. Um, and you, you fly from Accra over to Tomali. And we land in Tomali. And then Robert picks us up there at the airport and we drive from Tamale all the way up to Upper East Ghana, where Bolgatonga is up at the top there. And that's where our Bible school is. That's where we spend the majority of our time. Um, you know, people sometimes are surprised when we take like a two-week trip because it sounds like a long time to be away. And yet what you have to realize is there's about three days of travel on both ends of that trip. So uh, just the process from leaving here and arriving at that Bible school is about three days that you're on flights and car rides and, you know, very little sleep uh, to get there. So it's really about a week that we actually have boots on the ground in Ghana to be able to do some work. But as Jeff mentioned, the goal of this trip was to see how everything was going. There's been about a four-year gap since we've been to Africa, um, and we wanted to see how the school was doing, how Robert, who we support over there, the director of the school was doing. Um, the fruit of the school and some of the students that have graduated and we've got to go visit some of them and we were so incredibly encouraged by the work that God is doing um, the discipleship taking place the church plants that are happening it was so great to see the work that God is doing there that is being run by the people and that doesn't depend on us it was it was really an answer to our prayers but just to flip over to the next slide uh, and give you guys a little bit of this was us arriving in Tomali at the airport that is Robert uh, you'll get a better photo of him in a minute but that was him embracing Ed I think it was probably about a four and a half minute embrace um, and that's that spoke volumes to how appreciative he was of us coming back and seeing them and how much he has missed us and so um, that's Robert and Ed over at the airport you can go to the next photo that's Robert. He is the director of our uh, Bible school. It's called Kwabi, Calvary West Africa Bible Institute. And uh, Robert was one of the original students who went through the program. He is a uh, solid man of God, a, a lover of the gospel. He's got a wife, Mavis, and they are a power couple for the Lord in Ghana. And uh, Robert's really a guy that we we so depend on when we go on these trips. He is the one picking us up and taking us to the places and keeping all the connections with current and previous students. He is teaching at churches and helping lead at the school. Uh, he does so much and, and just has such a genuine heart for the Lord. Uh, you can flip to the next slide. We're gonna make quick work. Jeff, uh, these are all of Robert's kids. So you've got 
Richard Powell, and if you know uh, Rich Powell, who's gone on these trips with Crossroads, uh, that's how much Robert appreciated him. His first son's named after him. So that's Richard Powell and Shadrach and then Peggy, also named after another, another part of the team that's gone over on those trips. So there's a little cherry on top for you. Come on a missions trip, you just might get a kid named after you. So, um, but do you want to share anything about their family and, and your relationship to them? Uh, yeah, I've known Robert since, I think it was 2006 we first met him, and he had actually graduated out of another Bible school that uh, Calvary Chapel Elk Grove has in southern Ghana, doing the same program, and we met him through the director of that school. So he was just a skinny guy that lived in a village that walked around and interviewed people to go to the school in Pipiasi. And so it was really a huge jump for him to come in and take over to be director of this school. But he stepped in. Uh, he's done an incredible job. He wasn't married at the time. Ed and I went with him to negotiate for his wife with how many cows it would cost to get his wife. Uh, we, we were there to make that deal with him with guinea fowl and Malta. And, and then uh, uh, just to watch their family grow. Mavis is a teacher. She was away for about a year, uh, most of the year, doing training to move up in the teaching, get her better credential for teaching. So Robert was manning everything. Um, and then when I was over there for the four and a half months during COVID, I stayed with their family, which was an incredible time, just to have a room in their house, eat with them, stay with them, babysit the kids when they had to go out and do something. Uh, they are always busy, always moving. Uh, Mavis is a, a perfect mate for Robert and all that he has to do and keeping the school running. And, and like Lucas says, he travels. He calls himself a pastor to pastors. So he's, he's keeping an eye and taking care of all the pastors that have graduated there. And when I was there, I put together a spreadsheet for him so he now knows all their phone numbers and where they are and he can keep in touch with them. And I think that's it. You can flip over to the next slide. We'll, we'll move through these pretty quickly. Uh, if you've ever wondered about the rapture, we just want to answer all your questions right now. We found the rapture spot. So it's actually in Bolgatonga. Um, you can go ahead and get your flight now and book your spot. But just plain. It's, yeah, it's uh, definitely a questionable facility, not the place you want to go expecting the rapture to happen. But we had to take the photo. You can move on to the next one. Uh, so this is uh, the, I believe, they, I believe they called it actually Crossroads Church uh, in, in Ghana. Oh, yeah. And this is where I got to go and teach on Sunday morning. It was supposed to be a quick taxi ride on the back of a motorcycle. But uh, as we like to say, TIA, this is Africa. And you never know what's going to happen. And so an hour and a half after I was supposed to get picked up, uh, Robert's wife Mavis came to say, well, Robert's car broke down. We needed people to go get them. And so... Uh, I'm here to pick you up. Okay, so I jumped in the car, got to go here to the church and teach, and uh, it's an awesome group of believers. Martin is the pastor there. He's a graduate of the school. He's helping serve at the Bible school, and um, man, if, if you've never seen or experienced church in Africa, you need to at some point because it is very lively. There is quite a lot of dancing. I think we could learn a lot from their worship, and uh, and you also appreciate AC. So 
Uh, it's, it's a very warm room. It feels a little bit like a blend of church and hot yoga, but, um, but by the end of it, everybody is celebrating and worshiping the Lord together, and it was a beautiful, beautiful service and a time to get to share with them. Um, they send their hello to you guys, and they're so thankful for the support and ways that we have helped um, make disciples and the fruit of that that's going on there. But you can go to the next slide. Um, this is our Bible school. So, so, so many people have heard about it. We want to give you a real picture of it. Uh, that is the Bible school. You can see the bottom yellow layer. That is finished. That's where the, the dorms are and the bathrooms, the cafeteria. Um, that second floor is where all of their classes are taking place. Um, so no doors or windows on the second floor yet, and yet still classes are taking place and going on. The third floor has a few walls up, still a lot to be done. And that really is, uh, if you're wondering what the greatest priority is, not only from our standpoint, but when we ask Robert, this is it, um, to really get over there and finish this school. It's incredible to hear that we've had over a thousand students go through this school and the fruit of all the churches that are taking place. Um, but there's so much more that could be done here and there's so much more that we can do on this school to make it a more comfortable. Maybe praying because as soon as we can get materials and a plan ready, we're going to be going back to really finish up this school and continue to uh, be a part of what the Lord's doing and making disciples at that location. Uh, you can go to the next slide. This is some of the teaching that was going on actually right when we got there, and I don't have a lot of time to go all into it, but when we arrived at the Bible school, there were people teaching, and we're like, who are these people? <laughs> we, we don't know these people teaching, and they're definitely from America, and we got to sit down and have dinner with this group that are a part of an organization called Equip to Serve, and it is, um, there were three men there when we came that all are from the United States. Um, I believe Alabama, Missouri, the United States, um, I believe Alabama, Missouri, over that way. Um, and they're a part of an organization. They started um, as children who grew up on the mission field, mostly in Liberia. They had a heart to really teach and equip students to know the Word of God and to know it um, from cover to cover, the, the main ideas, the grand story, but also the theology and what it's speaking to. And so they work full-time jobs. They all take two weeks of vacation. They fly over to Africa, and for two full weeks, they're teaching like six-plus hours a day every day and then getting on a flight and going right back to work. And when we got to sit down with these guys, they're like, we just want you to know this guy, Robert, is doing a great job of vetting people. He, we gave him all our materials, and we didn't hear from him for like a year, and we thought nothing was going to come from it. And then he reaches out and says, all right, I've gone through all your stuff, and it's good, and it's sound, and I'm okay with you coming now. And um, love the work that he's doing there to make sure that these students are getting quality content that's true to the Word of God, but love these guys' hearts. And they even told him when they got there, hey, we know this is a Bible school that's supported and funded and owned by a church somewhere, it'd be really good for us to meet the people at that church. We don't want to just be teaching on their property and they don't know about it. And he said, well, that's perfect because they're in Ghana right now and they're going to be here. And so we got to have dinner with these guys, um, love their heart, and are really excited about partnering with them in the future. They're doing a, a New Testament survey, an Old Testament survey, and kind of an overarching theme of like, and the grand story of what's taking place that they take the students through in sort of a block class for two weeks 
before the students do more of an in-depth through the word. Um, it's really cool to partner with them. And if you want to go to the next slide, uh, this is another classroom uh, that they have. Obviously, you can see there's room for these things to be finished, and yet they're making the most of every space they can to make disciples. You can go to the next slide. These are some of the students there at the Bible school. Don't be alarmed if we look really red in the face. Uh, we just finished a full game of soccer with these guys, and needless to say, we got beat very badly. Um, but some of these students, as Jeff has shared, stories after stories of, of uh, the persecution they've endured, uh, the number of you know, churches in their area that have been burned down, and the real threats on their life that are a daily part of their life as a believer. And yet they are at school with one plan, and that is to be equipped for the work of ministry so they can go back and plan a church and make disciples and be a light in a dark place. And it is humbling to sit down with these students and see the joy in their eyes and the faith they have and their boldness to say, no, we're victorious in Christ, and we want to go back and we want to share that victory with people. In fact, I loved getting to talk with one of the students. His name is Freedom. And it's just beautiful to hear the freedom that he's found in Christ and the freedom that he wants to make available to his, his fellow um, uh, people in his village and just sharing the gospel with them. But these students are so full of love for the Lord and his word and so kind. It is such a rich culture. It is so hospitable. Um, I love it. I, it's, it's, I like to say it's my second home. I mean, I, I love being in Ghana and I hope that many of you get to join us on one of these trips because it's worth the visit. You can go to the next slide. We're going to wrap up here pretty quickly. That's just more of the property. We have five acres there on that property. That's the Bible school off in the distance, and so they have a crop to the right there. There's a kitchen out in the back that Jeff was so thrilled to help be a part of finishing because before that, the ladies were cooking in the hot sun in Africa, um, you know, around a fire with this massive boiling pot at temperatures that would make us all pass out, and full-time they're out there cooking every meal. And so we finally have a building for them. They're in the shade. They were so thrilled to be able to cook um, no longer in the heat of the day. You can move to the next one. This is us. You have to have a meal in Africa, you know, and so uh, I was bummed that Andrew got a pretty tame meal. I really was hoping he was going to get one of the meals that uh, really feel like a challenge to finish and uh, really takes a step of boldness and uh, prayer as you work your way through the meal. But uh, he got one that was beans and rice and was just really delicious, and he was ready for a second bowl. And so uh, I was glad he enjoyed it. I was a little bummed for my own entertainment's sake. But uh, this is us eating in the cafeteria with the students at the Bible school. You can flip to the next one. That's the students at the school. That's their cafeteria. Um, we'll move to the next one. That's the kitchen that's been built so the ladies are no longer out in the hot sun at the Bible College campus. You can move to the next one. This is Robert teaching with the students. This was actually one of our final days in Africa, and, and Robert was exhorting the students after Andrew had shared a word with them. Um, yeah, it's awesome to see what's going on there. Next slide. This is one of the churches slash schools that has been built um, from one of the graduates. So he went over here and built this school in a village that didn't have a school, 
And uh, the local officials were so pleased with it, they're helping actually support the work that he's doing. Uh, it's so funny, you can't see it in this photo, but right under that entrance there is the name of the school, and it says Calvary Chapel Crossroads School. And I'm like, you're just getting all the names in. I love it. Uh, you can go to the next slide. These are some of the students there at the school. Um, so full of joy, so fun. Jeff actually brought marbles with us from Ireland, and he taught them the game of marbles. You know, you draw the circle in the dirt, and you're flicking the marbles and trying to shoot them out, and then you get them. Most of these students didn't know the game. It, takes, it took us about two minutes to explain it, and they were all just consumed with it. I mean, everybody's playing against each other and trying to get marbles, and uh, so much fun, such an easy icebreaker to, to play with the students. You can go to the next slide. These are the teachers there at the school. Um, do you want to share anything about the graduate who is leading that? Uh, Solomon. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Solomon was one of the original students. He was one of the first graduating class. Uh, and he had attended another school. That's a long story, but I better stop. Uh, so just to see him uh, moving ahead, again, he was single. He's now married, has two kids of his own. And the interesting thing about him, like Robert, uh, what's your name again? Lucas mentioned <laughs> that Robert vetted the guys that were coming from the U.S. He had a, a guy from America come and say, hey, I want to put a roof on your church. And so he sat him down and asked him, why do you want to put a roof on my church? And interviewed him before he'd take anything from him. And so to see the guys that, that are so... Uh, they love God so much and are so protective of the gospel that they are trying to share that they just don't want somebody coming in and trying to rip that off. So he did that, and, and he's grown a lot since then, too. Did you, did you want to share about what the students do with, like, how long semesters are or anything like that? Or that's a long time. Sure, yeah. You, Jeff's going to share with you just real quick. Well, I know we keep saying real quick, but we'll, just what takes place when a student comes to our Bible school, what is, that con con what is that filled with? What do they go in there and get and then leave with? How are we equipping them? So the first amazing thing is that these students are coming from every West African country, which normally wouldn't get along very well, and they're all living in dorm rooms in this one building and getting along quite well. Uh, and then, so it's a one-year program unless they need to learn English, and then it's a 18-month program. So they'll come and learn English, the first section, then they'll do Old Testament, New Testament. So it's about an 18-month program. Uh, there's no charge to any of this. They grab them in Ghana is religion is a big business, so people go into being a pastor so they can make money. So we want to make clear that that's not what we're teaching there, that you take the Bible, you go back to whatever you were doing when you left your village and share the gospel. So, yeah, 18 months. You can go to the next slide. We're going to wrap this up. Those are the students playing marbles that Jeff taught them. You can go to the next slide. This is the final thing. We'll, we'll end on this. There's so much, so much more we could share, but we also want to be thoughtful of your guys' time this morning. And I want to encourage you guys as uh, a next step, uh, there's interest sheets out in the lobby at a table. If you're interested in hearing more about Ireland or Africa or partnering with one of those trips or supporting and funding what's going on, all of that 
you can sign up on those sheets. Just put your name and your contact, and we can send you a lot more information. We'd be happy to sit down at any time over a meal, over a coffee, or just meet up somewhere and share a lot more with you about stories. But this couple, um, <clears throat> this is Abel and Diana, and um, we, we were walking one day and it began to rain, and I mean really rain, and Jeff, myself, and Andrew normally would go straight out of the place we stay into the market, and there were big puddles though, and where we were going was pretty far away, and it's kind of flooded, and so we thought, well, let's go another way. Jeff thought, well, why don't we just take the road? Okay, we'll take the road. Why not? Thinking it's no big deal. And we start to take the road, and this guy, Abel, sees us, and he goes, uh, hey, can I walk with you, friends? You know, uh, let's, let's talk. And you're thinking, okay, this, this happens a lot, and you want something, and we're like, well, we know where we're going. It's okay. And he's like, oh, well, I'm glad for that, but uh, why are you walking? Why aren't you taking a taxi? And we said, well, we have our feet. We're strong. We can walk, and then we can see who the Lord wants us to meet on the way. And he said, oh, I'm thankful. I praise God to hear that. That's good. And we're like, interesting. You praise God to hear that. So you believe in God. Oh, yes, I, be I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. And we're going, oh, that's interesting. And Jeff asked him, do you go to church? And he said, oh, I go to this church right over here. And Jeff knew the church and knew the pastor, and it's a solid church. And so conversation began to happen. And then he said, you know, I don't think this is an accident. I think the Lord actually sent you guys to meet me. And would you please do me the honor of coming to my home and, and praying for me? And, and I, can't I don't think they're married yet. Praying for me and my girlfriend, Diana. And um, we said, yeah, you know what? We'll do that. Let's go. And so we walked over. This is his home right behind him. And, uh, and we arrive at the location. And on the way there, He's just sharing with us, you know what, I feel like the Lord brought you in my path, and so I just want to be honest with you. And he was sharing some of his struggles, some of the addictions he has, and the things he's been wrestling with, and how there's this real struggle within him, because he's a man of God, and he wants to follow the Lord, and yet he has these addictions, and he struggles with these things he knows he shouldn't be doing. And, and how is he supposed to do this when he has this woman that he's with, and he wants to be a man of God for her? And and he feels like he's bringing her down and he's letting her down. And so we get to his home. They invite us in. And in their living room, uh, he shares with us once again just that he would so appreciate our prayers. But then he does something that's pretty profound, especially in this culture, which is he gets down on his knees before Diana. And he actually begins to cry and he's apologizing to her and he's asking for her forgiveness for the way that he hasn't been the man he should be and he's failed her and, and he's given in to his struggles and addictions and he actually ends up pulling out drugs that he has in his pocket that he had gone to buy and he had left his part of town to go to a different part of town so nobody would recognize him. And that part of town he goes to is where we met him on the road after he had just gotten these drugs. And he's sitting here apologizing to her, and he's saying, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't want to use these. And he hands them over to Jeff, and he says, will you get rid of these? Because I want to be a man of God, and I want to lead this woman in the Lord. Um, in that culture, for a man to humble himself like that before his girl is, is profound, but also to see the work of the Lord taking place in his heart. Jeff got to share his testimony with him. We got to lay hands on him and pray over him and pray over Diana and their home. 
Um, and then we wanted to take this photo to capture it because it was one of those moments where you just know the Lord had placed us on that path and had us go a different direction because he knew that Abel would be walking that way having purchased these drugs and was crying out to the Lord, show me a way of escape. Show me a way to get through this. And he told us that. And we said, well, today the Lord provided us for your way of escape, but tomorrow you need to seek the Lord again and you need to seek a way of escape and you need to continue to not give in to that temptation and follow the Lord. Today he was gracious and he placed us in your path but tomorrow you need to deny yourself again and you need to take up your cross and follow Jesus and lead this woman in the Lord. And it was, it was a reminder of being available and open to what the Lord wants to do in any moment. And that's not only for Ghana, okay? Every one of you are about to leave this building and who knows the people you're going to meet at the store and when you get home and at your workplaces and in your schools but if you're just open and willing to be led by the Lord in the place he has you in, it is profound to see the ways that he will use you. What I love about this man right here is that he always has cargo shorts. What I love about those cargo shorts is that's what's always inside of them, and I didn't ask him about this, I just knew it, are New Testaments, always. In fact, he was, we, we were empty, so he reloaded me and Andrew, and we all were going around with New Testament Bibles in our pockets, and it didn't matter if it was on the airplane or in, with your taxi or in the marketplace or running into Abel and going into his home. We were able to meet with people. Do you have a Bible? Do you know the gospel? And hand them a Bible and pray with them to receive the Lord. That needs to take place here, too. We have so much access to Bibles, and yet it amazes me how many people still have never read them and know nothing about what's in them. Let's be people who are on mission even as we leave the church today. Amen? Okay, well, I'm going to close in prayer, invite the worship team to come up as we finish in worship. There's ways you can serve in Ghana, and we'll make this available if you want to know those. The most practical of all of those is that we're trying to put new mattresses at the Bible school. They've had the original mattresses for far too long, and those mattresses are paper thin now. And so we actually got a quote. It's $1,941 to cover mattresses for that school. And so if the Lord puts that on your heart to help support that or any of the other work, um, let us know in the office or sign up on the sheet, and we'd love to tell you guys more about it. But would you join with me as we pray and celebrate what the Lord has done overseas and is doing and pray that he would continue, as we know he's faithful to do, to share that gospel and to make disciples. God, we thank you. Lord, for the work you're doing in Ireland. God, for the work you're doing in Africa. God, for the work you're doing in Auburn. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and you are just as able and to, to redeem and restore and, and transform communities and cultures here as you are there. And God, we celebrate that you are a God who saves, that there is no one too far gone, that where their sin abounds, your grace abounds so much more. And God, we want them to call upon you. We want them to believe. We want them to hear the gospel. And so we want to be people that are willing to go. People that are willing to be sent out and used to preach the gospel. So Lord, would you send us out as your church 
to fulfill the Great Commission and to go to Auburn and throughout Placer County and overseas in Ireland and Africa to be used for your glory. There are people that need to know the truth. And God, we want to be a part of that. We say as Isaiah did, Lord, send us and we will go. We pray that your spirit would give us discernment and would show us those opportunities in our daily lives. And we pray for boldness. Just as the disciples prayed for boldness and your spirit flooded that room, would you flood this space? Would you fill us and overflow us with your Holy Spirit? And would you send us out in your power to preach the good news that people might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And it is in your matchless name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. As we close in a time of worship, there's going to be people available upstairs in the back, up here in the front, that would love to pray with you. And maybe it's a prayer of boldness you want personally. Maybe it's because that gospel we're talking about, you don't know. We would love to tell you about it. We would love to pray with you. Please don't hesitate even in this moment to respond to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in your heart before we leave and go out there on mission. Amen. Stand with me, if you would, as we close in worship.